We are uh, continuing again with our series that we've been looking at the last number of weeks on trying to figure out Christianity and politics. And mercifully, we're almost done uh, because we're mercifully almost done with the election season. Um, And if you remember, what we're doing is we're taking up this big question uh, each week, a different question that's been explored throughout the ages and kind of taking a look at one time in history in our history when people were wrestling with it. We're taking a look and kind of turning it around, seeing what we think, seeing how we feel, and what it applies to today. And so this week's question, I was not able to figure out how to phrase unawkwardly, but uh, it is, should Christians try to make their societies into Christian nations? Should we be a Christian nation? Is that what we are called to as Christians? And this is a live question. Um, if, it, it's been live for the last decade or so, um, but I, I don't know if people have picked up on this. So, for example, there was a lot of discussion of this around Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, a non-practicing Jewish uh, pre- presidential contender. Um, and that was something that was unique to our experience as Americans. Um, some of you might have heard about the discussions over the last couple weeks at Liberty University. Um, some of you remember Jerry Falwell we talked about last week, um, uh, the founder of Liberty University. He's been an a, a incredibly outspoken Trump supporter. And after all of the stuff that came up, um, all the allegations of sexual assault that came up, he defended Trump by saying, we're electing a president not a pastor. Interesting, right? And, uh, and then folks from Liberty University, the, these uh, mostly conservative Christian students, uh, a lot of them pushed back and said, no, there's an ethical standard that we demand from our presidents. Right? It's this live question that has so much mixed into it of what should we be a Christian nation? And what does that mean? And there's just these whole bunch of questions mixed together. And so, for example, there's this question of theo- uh, theocracy, right? So, ocracy is government, theo is God. So, theocracy is when uh, the uh, government is ruled by God. So, for example, uh, the uh, boogeyman of Sharia law that we hear about some is an example of theocracy. It's God-designed government. Or if you have priests as your rulers, such as in ancient Israel, that's a theocracy. And, and so that's a little different than, I think, any of the conversations we've been having around America. We don't really... We, we like our separation of church and state for the most part. We don't want to become a state-run... a, a church-run government or a government-run church. And so that, that's a little different from what we're talking about. But what Americans often mean is taking up this claim. We have this particular claim that we like to think about, that we are a nation predominantly of Christians, and that our, uh, base, our founding fathers based the forming of the country on Christian values, and that we need to remain with Christian values as our moral framework. That's one way that people often think about this question. And that's contested because, uh, so our founding fathers were deists, uh, which is a non-Christian uh, enlightenment sect, basically. 
um, and using theological language from Christian tradition. And so, do you see how complex this one question is? I mean, it's so complex that I'm not able to come up with an elegant way to even say it in the first place. But there's all these other questions just mixed in together in the pot of just trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian nation or be Christians in a nation or something like that. There's just all these questions swirling around. And it's a very live question right now in the political scene. And so let's take up as our specific topic, the, the one thread of it that we can explore today, is how should Christians insist that our governments behave? What kind of actions do we need to insist on from our government? And to help us out this week, we're going to go back in time a little bit. So brief aside, I'm disappointed in y'all. Y'all didn't correct me on my math. Last week I was saying 35 years, a lot, a lot for 1980, and nobody told me it was 45 years. I'm just 1970, excuse me, 1970. <laughs> See? Okay, I'm disappointed. Anyway, we are going back about the same amount, and we're going to South America, to Chile, the long skinny one right by Argentina, yeah? And in this time, from 1973 to 1990, there was a military dictator there by the name of Pinochet. Um, he was very infamous um, in the human rights community and just throughout the world, especially because of these folks called the desaparecidos, the disappeareds. And what the government did was they took individuals that were presenting some sort of threat to the government and made them disappear. They just snatched them up, and they were never heard from again. Often they were tortured. A lot of times they were killed. And the government just made them disappear and instilled this culture of just fear and dread in the society of Chile at this time. Now, the fascinating thing to me about this is that the state claimed that it was Christian, so it, it was a Catholic state, and, and specifically that's how Pinochet came to power, is, was through a coup. He took the government by force because he was afraid of the Marxists, right? The, the kind of communist, socialist thing. Um, we, we've had similar boogeymen in our country's history, right? And a similar type of um, perspective of that oh, we can't let the Marxists take over the government, so we as Christians need to go in and seize power and make sure those Marxists are not getting any foothold in the country. And what he tried to do that was through torture and through disappearing people. Um, so clearly, from, especially from an outsider perspective, it's easy to see all the human rights abuses all the devastation, the abuse, the torture, the controlling through intimidation. That's really easy to see. And the other piece of it, too, is there, there was a gentleman who, about a decade ago, wrote this book by the name of William Kavanaugh, who talked about how torture fundamentally disintegrates any social bonds. It makes people isolated because now if there's spies trying to catch you and then you'll be disappeared, you don't know if you can talk to this person. 
You don't know who to trust, who to confide in, so you have to just be surrounded and insular in your fear. And to combat this torture, these abuses, this um, killing, there were some priests who stepped up in a variety of different ways, some in advocacy work, some in trying to get international actors involved, some in trying to provide social services, some in denouncing the government. And a lot of these priests were then disappeared. They were taken out because they were a threat to the government. And uh, there's this fascinating connection, if you were here for the first sermon in this series, is Christianity political? There's this fascinating connection. Uh, Hear this quote from the Minister of Justice under Pinochet. The bishops, remember the ones that got disappeared, those bishops forget that the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. And so they abandon the cure of souls to launch a political and hypocritical attack on the government. On the government that is torturing. And what were they objecting to? They were objecting to torture. They were objecting to violations of freedom of expression, to corrupt political parties, to hurting the poor under the economic policies, to repression. And they objected to these through the means that they had available some by claiming, making statements that the whole system was problem rather than just individual instances, and sometimes by excommunicating the torturers. And those bishops were eventually lauded by the international community, later on by the Chilean community as well, for their role in standing up to this dictatorship, to the government that was so abusive with their power. So I think that gives us enough data to come back uh, to our question for today. How should Christians insist their government behaves? And so we can learn some stuff from the Chilean bishops. They found a violent, repressive military dictatorship unacceptable to that question. And moreover, they claimed that it was not actually a Christian government. Now, remember, uh, uh, there's two things that are fascinating here of translating it. Of The first thing is, it might not be so important that we claim by name to be a Christian society. Because So think about Chile. They all claimed to be Christian. They all understood themselves to be Christian. The government said, we are Christian. But it was behaving in ways that their behavior said otherwise. That they were engaging in ways of destroying life. And so it suggests to us perhaps being called a Christian nation is not the be-all, end-all. But rather, we as Christians have these sets of behaviors, these practices, these ways of being 
that we can tap into when we are thinking about how do we govern, how do we structure our societies. In our faith, Christianity, the emphasis is on the least of these. The last will be first and the first will be last. In not storing up treasure on, heaven, in, in, on earth, but in heaven. In showing mercy to the orphan and the widow. In deep forgiveness. And so as Christians interacting in a society and trying to shape society, we should be looking for these types of behaviors and figuring out how does that influence our policies, our politics, our things that we put into motion. How do these inform our decisions as a country? What does it mean to forgive when we think about international politics and war? What does it mean to value the least of these when we are designing social programs? How does not storing up treasure on earth influence our tax policy? These types of questions are the ways that we ought to be thinking about how we interact as a country. Not so much do we have the label of being Christian, but are we bringing those deep resources that are so important to our faith, to the policies that we create, to the ways that we vote, to the ways that we interact in the world. And so, may you, in this political season, deeply discern what it means for us to be a Christian nation, not in name, but in deed. May it be so.